<clears throat> well, friends, with your permission, I'd like to check in on a man whose life was repeatedly swirling in disorientation. Now, I want to go there because, quite honestly, as I have tried to process what's happening here, uh, that's the word that keeps coming to my mind about what is going on. Our plan had been that yesterday I was to be in two harbors with both my sons. We were to be finalizing work on a particular thing we'd been working on since last summer. Matt, in fact, has been working on it for two years. It was going to come to fruition yesterday. Yeah, well, it didn't happen. Sunday, tomorrow, the Oswalds were supposed to be here. The missions committee had been working with them. That's been in place for about a month. Monday, we were to have the Creating a Caring Community. That was in place since last October because of Mike Adamick. And then this coming Sunday, we had a Gideon speaker coming in to fill the pulpit because I was to be gone with my family gathered in the D.C. area because of a, or, or for a celebration of life for my sister-in-law, Linda, and we learned of her condition last July. So all these things were culminating right now within about a nine-day time frame. All this stuff that we were laboring for, and then, thwomp, we're told we can't be here for two weeks. It's like, what in the world is going on? So now we're trying to recalibrate what this means as a church. As we, I want you to think of this as a theme that we're, we're to be for the entire time of, of being away from one another, that we are the church dispersed, but not the church disconnected. And we, we want to keep that in our minds. We have, we've had Matt's family join us, which is wonderful. We haven't seen the kids since, like, November. And so we have missed them. But we now have a family of six that have moved into our home. And they, Matt called a little bit ago, and he said, Dad, if they decide to lock us down for, um, you know, for weeks at a time, says, we have a small house, four little kids, small yard, uh, we'll go nuts. So we're going to come wait it out with you in case they lock us down because the kids can go out and play in your yard. And so, so that's just one more thing that we're trying to calibrate into all of that. But perhaps the biggest thing that we have to calibrate is I was in Walmart a week ago, and I'd been hearing about this shortage, but it's like, why do we need a shortage on toilet paper? Because this is a bronchial issue. It is not digestive. And I look down the aisle, and it is empty except for about 10 packages of these four-roll packs, which have about, you know, the equivalent. You know when you buy that nice big roll that we all like to buy, right? It's like this is about the equivalent of about a tenth of one of those. 68 cents a piece, it wasn't even worth it. And it's, you know, toilet paper. People, this is America. We have a right to toilet paper. What is going on? So... I've been off my game. Well, I want to look this evening at some incidents that happened to a man by the name of Jacob, who if you think about it, from the very beginning of his life till his death, he was constantly being exposed to these disorienting circumstances. Now, what I'd like to first to do is just to give you a bit of a background on him. Most of you will know this, but for somebody who might be new, then I want to at least fill a few things in. God had instructed Jacob at one point in his life, because he had moved him around, to return to the city of Bethel. And in Genesis 35, we read this. 
Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aran and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And that's how we wind up calling the nation of the Jews the Israelites. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I give Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And so Jacob moves and he's heading to Bethel and God reveals that he's going to do these things. Now, Jacob's story actually continues through his 12 sons. Now, you got 12 sons from four different moms. You already know some things are going to be disorienting in that household. And the one we're most familiar with is the son Joseph, who is favored with a coat of many colors. And it becomes obvious to his brothers that, hey, this is dad's favorite. So they resent him. And given an opportunity at one point, his brothers sell him into slavery. He winds up in a place in the house of a guy called Potiphar who works under Pharaoh. And uh, he is there promoted to uh, being at the head of, of Potiphar's household and then framed. And now, because he was framed... He gets thrown into prison. He gets thrown into prison with a butler and a baker who serve the Pharaoh. Time goes on. Turns out that both the butler and the baker have a dream. And he is able to interpret their dreams. And he is able to interpret them accurately. And the butler gets restored to the Pharaoh. And the baker gets put to death. And he had told the butler, he said, look... <laughs> When you get there, don't forget me, all right? Because, like, uh, I've been framed to be here. Well, the butler does forget him. And time goes on, and then Pharaoh has a dream. And that's the famous dream of the cows and the sheaves, and there's seven of each, and there's seven fat ones, and then seven lean ones, and the lean ones uh, eat up the, the fat ones, and it's like nothing ever changes among either of them. And uh, when the Pharaoh's disconcerted, trying to figure out what is going on here, what was this dream about, the butler goes, oh, wait a second. There was a guy back in prison. He's in your prison, in fact. And he knows how to interpret dreams. He interpreted mine. So maybe you ought to call him up. So Pharaoh calls up. Now finally calls up Joseph. Joseph is able to interpret his dreams. It says, guess what? You got seven uh, good years. That's the fat cows or the fat sheaves that are there. And he said, but they're going to be followed by seven lean years. And that was the lean cows and that was the lean sheaves. So he said, you need to put up grain during the good years so you can make it through the difficult years. And effectively, he saved the nation with this. Now, imagine what, how we would treat the guy if there is one individual who was able to come along and, and he finds the cure for the coronavirus. We will be right reading about him. Our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren will be reading about him in the history books and the science books. We will laud that guy as the guy who saved the world from this pandemic. Well, that's how the Egyptians viewed Joseph. He saved their nation from starvation. Now, back up in Bethel, Jacob 
sends his sons because he hears that, hey, they got grain down in Egypt. So he sends them down to get grain in Egypt. They go down without Benjamin. And they're to buy food in Egypt. Now, Joseph recognizes that they're his brothers. It's been a number of years since they've seen him. He has matured. He's dressed like uh, an Egyptian. They are not expecting their brother. They think he's dead. So he speaks harshly with them, calls them spies, puts them in jail for three days. And he says, the way I'll know that you're honest, they're saying, look at, look at, we're honest people. He says, yeah, bring that younger brother here, then I'll know you're honest. And where they finally left it is Simeon got left in jail. The rest of the brothers returned with the intent of bringing Benjamin back so that they can release Simeon. And that's what brings us to our text for today. We read this account with that setup. Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every's money to everyone, every man's money to a sack. And to give them provisions for the journey. Now, this is when they're going to leave to go back to their father. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey food at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored. And there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them. And they were afraid, saying to one, to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We're honest men. We're not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Now, that's quite a promise, isn't it? What is the big concern we have right now? All trade is shutting down. And he offers them this huge promise that you will actually be able to come and trade in our land and you'll be able to establish business and it'll be good for you, but you've got to prove your honesty. Bring your younger brother. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. Now, this is the money that they thought they had purchased the grain with. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. That's our text. All these things are against me. Jacob is so disoriented by what is happening, he's not allowing his sons to go back and get more grain. But eventually the grain they have wears out or runs out and you got to get food from somewhere. So he relents, lets them go back and they're going to try and by sending Benjamin, they're going to try and cover, recover Simeon and get more grain. So he gives in. They return to Egypt. The story continues to develop where uh, once they come back, they actually eat with Joseph. And then Joseph gives them some more grain, sends them away, but he hides his cup in Benjamin's sack. 
So once they have gone off, he sends out some of his police. They arrest and return the group to him. And they, the, the, the brothers have no idea what is going on. And basically, Joseph is testing his brothers to find out where their heart is really at. And in that context now, when they've come back, Joseph has tested them to find out where their hearts are at. We then read this. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, whom he now has not seen for many years, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt." That's where it goes. Eventually, they go back. They get Jacob. They bring him there, and uh, the nation of Israel is saved. But here's what I'd like you to consider. Now that we've seen enough of the story, that moment when Jacob realized that, or to at least perceived, Joseph was gone years ago. Simeon now is in prison. Benjamin is being dragged back. <laughs> And he's afraid he's going to lose him. And he says, all these things are against me. And Jacob has become so disoriented by the difficulties surrounding his life as he perceives them that he forgot the promise of God, that promise that I read to begin with, the promise that said there's going to be a great nation that comes out of you. Kings will come from you. You are going to uh, not only become a great nation, but I'm going to give you the land that I promised to Abraham and Isaac, your father and your grandfather. But all Jacob can think is all these things are against me. Jacob viewed everything as loss when, in fact, he was at the very center of God fulfilling his redemptive plan, the plan that he had promised to him. Nothing, nothing was against him. It was all a part of God's sovereign purpose to create a nation from whom would spring the promised deliverer, the Messiah. Nothing was against him. Everything was for him, and everything was in perfect order. Didn't understand that. The brothers didn't understand it. I don't even know if Joseph understood it until this all comes together, and Joseph realizes, God sent me before you to preserve life. 
to preserve the life of their nation, of their little tribe at this point, but that it will become a nation. Jacob only saw death when God was bringing life, the life that he promised. So that's something I want us to just keep in mind, friends, in terms of what Jacob's perspective was. All these things are against me. When life got so difficult and so disorienting, but God was working out his redemptive plan, I'd like us to consider this. We too, we too have a promise from God, a promise that fits in to the redemptive plan of God for all of mankind, a promise which cannot be touched by a coronavirus. That promise we see upon Peter's profession in Matthew that uh, when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says this, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of this profession, the foundation of this, of this understanding and confessing who Jesus Christ is, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Nothing can stop God's redemptive purposes being revealed in his church. Nothing will stop it. This pandemic is disorienting. Maybe like Jacob, all we can see is death, or we worry about it all the time because they keep giving us all these numbers about, you know, so many cases and so many who've died, and maybe we could get caught up in that. Well, the reality is some people won't survive it. We know that because it's happened. Some entities won't survive it. My wife saw in the, uh, a, a news headline that Compass Airlines, the previous airline my son flew for, uh, is no more. They've declared bankruptcy and they're out of the game. So who knows, who knows what will happen, whether we're talking about people's lives medically, whether we're talking about businesses, uh, commerce around the world. We don't know. We don't know what will happen. The one thing that we do know for sure is that the church will survive it. God's continuing redemptive work from Genesis to Revelation will not be curtailed. That's why it's important that we are the church dispersed, but not the church disconnected. God is as ready as he ever has been to do incredible things to bring people to himself, even during this time when we're dispersed. God's ready to do a work. Now, we're going to have to learn how to do some things differently if this thing sustains for a time. We're going to have to figure that out. But won't that be fascinating? Won't it be exciting to see what God reveals to his people about being the church now in a setting where the whole world is up in arms about the same problem, this pandemic? And think of this, friends. If we're willing to be the repository of his unity and love, two things which he said the world will take note of. If we're willing to be the repository of his unity and love, how then should that look practically? And be displayed at this time as the world is in international distress. How do we show unity and love as Christ's church? Well, we're going to talk about this in the days ahead. 
And so we're going to need to make a number of connections. And so I'm hoping that you'll stay connected to us. But here's a, here's a simple thing. And there's, there's all sorts of things you're going to find about people saying how to practically get through these days. But, but how about this? Call someone. Find out how they're doing. Commit to pray for them for three days. Now, you maybe, you maybe would say, I don't know their numbers. Okay, I'd like to just throw in a plug. Brenda has done an amazing job at putting together a digital uh, photo directory for us. And if you're in that photo directory and you have a, uh, a, a mailing address in there or an email address, you can, through that, you can get this on your smartphone. And I tell you, I use it all the time. It's wonderful. And you can just find somebody's number. You could call them, see how they're doing. You don't have to know them well. We don't have to know them. You just know they're your brother and sister in Christ. That would be awesome. Here's a thought. I, and I mean this literally, I have seen a plate of cookies change someone's life because somebody showed up at a door and ministered to them with a plate of cookies. Maybe you could drop one off for somebody and just encourage them. You might find that they were a little bit isolated and they needed that human touch that you brought. Or maybe you'd like to bring a loaf of banana bread. Got some people in this church make some incredible banana bread. And I, and I noticed when we were out looking for some things yesterday in the store and we couldn't find condensed milk or the dried powdered milk that Lori wanted to make some hot chocolate. But what I did notice is there's plenty of cans of pumpkin pie filling. So maybe... What you want to do is go the ultimate route, make pumpkin bars with cream cheese frosting. Ooh, I'm telling you, that's going all out there. Now, we've got to do this perhaps before they lock us down too tightly. So these are some things for us to keep in mind. If we can still travel next week, maybe you can invite up to, you could invite up to 10 people to join you in your home for our next Saturday night worship service. Make some connections with that. Maybe you have neighbors who would come in and join you. One other thing that I would just like to throw out to your friends, because I'm concerned about you, please call the church office. If you are feeling like your stress level is beyond what you can handle, please call us. We need to know that, because we're going to be isolated from one another. You need to call. I assure you, you are not alone. There will be people willing to take time with you, if only by phone or text if necessary, if the on-site visiting is prohibited. But we want to be there for you because we're isolated and that's not a good thing. So here's the point, and we're wrapping it up. God is going to be working right through this pandemic. It will not slow him down. So let's continue living and thinking as people in whom and through whom God is preserving life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that as crazy as these last couple weeks have been, as disoriented as we are, at times frightened, at times lonely, lots of questions, Lord, However it is, whatever it is we are feeling, the thing we have heard tonight over and over again is your faithfulness, 
You are at work. You are in control. You desire to demonstrate your love to us. You are present. And Father, we need to hear these words. We need to see them as more than just words that are said, but things that in, in seriously invade our thinking and our hearts and our minds that we might be transformed to know your presence, to know, as Dave said earlier, about how you really are with us, Lord. And so I pray for everyone, wherever they are uh, right now, who are who are hearing this, who have stayed and worshiped with us, Father. I pray that each one might know your goodness, your presence, your grace, and each of us might be strengthened to continue to understand that you are the God who preserves life and that you desire to use us as a church to good ends as we yield ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.